if you are considering being a student at some point, even if you are much older than 18, we still do audit classes. You can still do part-time enrollment. Uh, we would love to visit with you and invite you uh, to take an audit class. It is a two-and-a-half-hour drive. It's all of that. We did it this morning. Um, but it was a fun two-and-a-half-hour drive because there's bears in New Hampshire. Did you know that? <laughs> we know that now. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, the rental company uh, doesn't have to replace the van. Um, so anyway, um, it is what God is doing at NEBC. Um, this is not some sort, of, some sort of stump speech. This is just the reality. This year, since January 1st, 200 plus people, we don't know how many anymore, 200 people have given their lives to Jesus Christ because of the ministry of our student staff and faculty. There's 45 of us as, as students. There is probably about 20 more as staff, and each weekend they are going to a different church and bearing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people around them, uh, working with young people in counseling positions and just helping raise up the next generation of Christian leaders, which we need. We desperately need in New England, right? But 200 people between New York and New Hampshire coming to Christ this semester or this year is one of the most amazing things I've ever heard. I, I, I've lived in the Northeast all my life. I was born in Whitehall or born in Rutland, Vermont, raised in Whitehall, New York at a small Southern Baptist church. That seems to be the theme today, right? Um, but it was a wonderful church where I was raised hearing the gospel and hearing God's words preach. Two things that are values in my life that are inseparable from Joe Ferguson as an individual. And so, um, but we can only attribute that, that 200 number, however many it is, to the fact that God is working and that his gospel is still powerful enough to save. And that's why I want to go to Galatians chapter 1 today. Galatians is one of my favorite books in scripture. Um, these students, uh, just so you guys know, um, they go with me every weekend. And so we are walking through the book of Galatians. And so you just happen to join us today. Um, we're in Galatians 1 chapter 10, or verse 10, excuse me, Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. And, um, and let me just give you some background. Uh, the book of Galatians is such an interesting book, uh, such, a, such an interesting letter from Paul, because what has happened is this is one of Paul's early church plants, and um, Paul is writing to them, uh, and this is prob probably or quite possibly one of the first letters Paul has written uh, as the apostle, um, first letters that we know of in, uh, that's considered inspired scripture. And so he's writing to the Galatians, and this letter is not good news. You ever get a letter home from your parents um, in, in kindergarten through high school? I did. I got plenty of them. Um, but this letter is not good news because Paul is kind of uh, putting the beat down on them. And, and he, the reason he's doing so is because the Galatians have fallen into this trap. Um, they have had uh, numerous people come into their fellowship after he has been there, after he has planted the church, and they're called Judaizers. And the Judaizers, what they did, uh, they came to bring the letter of the law to the Gentile Christians. Um, now, Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. We know that. We see that all through the, the New Testament. But the reality is one of the biggest things Jews had a problem with is the Gentiles didn't have to do what they had to do. Um, and so there were some Jews that literally, Paul says, spied out your freedom and tried to take it. Um, and they came into the midst of the Galatians and they started saying, you know what Paul preached by grace through faith, that's good, that, that gets you there. But now you've got to be like a Jew. You've got to obey the law. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to do all these things. And they started stacking a load of restrictions on the new Gentile believers. And the Gentile believers, being young in their faith, said, that doesn't sound like it's, it's wrong. It doesn't, 
Sounds all right. I mean, it makes sense. So, so all of a sudden, these Galatians uh, have been bewitched, as Paul says to them, and they start obeying the law as if it's salvific in some way. Now, <clears throat> we talk about the term salvation, and, and Paul's theology is so robust, naturally, because it's the Bible, right? Um, but Paul gives us some concepts. In the book of Philippians, one of my favorite concepts or truths is the truth of sanctification. Um, we have this, salvation is kind of like an umbrella, right? Now I'm taking your theology class for a second. Salvation is the umbrella, okay? And, and as Christians, we stand under the umbrella. But there's several uh, sticks that go out of this umbrella, and one of them is justification. Because justification is when we enter God's family. We have been justified, and we are now seen as if I'd never sinned, as if I'd always done right, right? We know that. We remember that from Sunday school. But then after justification becomes the process or comes the process of sanctification, where we as Christians are being conformed to the image of Christ. Daily, step by step, God is working in us to conform us to his image. And then finally, which is the day I'm really looking forward to because my sanctification will never be complete on this earth, is the day of glorification. Paul says in Romans, those whom he predestined, those he also foreknew, those whom he foreknew, he uh, justified, those whom he justified, he sanctified, those whom he sanctified, he glorified, and he walks through this, okay? And I'm just giving you three of part of this umbrella, right? And we get to this, this truth of glorification, and, and what I've noticed among Christians, we're all fine and good saying, God, is, God has justified me. And, and then it's, it's even easier to say, God will glorify me because I can't do that. But sanctification becomes tricky for us. We often see sanctification, and we, and we give it different terms. We call it discipleship. And what we forget sometimes is that sanctification is not something I do to myself. If God began the process, and God is going to complete the process, do you not think he will work in the middle of the process too? Absolutely, because Paul says in Philippians, um, Oh, it went from my head immediately. Paul says in Philippians, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's promise and the Bible's promise is that God's work in us will be completed by God himself, not by us. And the Judaizers came into a, a failing Galatian church and started to convince them, you are perfecting yourself. And Paul asks the most pertinent question, I believe, in Christianity today. You, Galatians, Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Rhetorical question, absolutely not. There is nothing in my flesh that can perfect me. I cannot obey the law well enough to perfect myself. It is all God that sanctifies. It is all God that saves in the end. And we must realize that. But Paul has to defend his apostleship. Paul has to get to the point where he's writing to the, the Galatians about why the gospel he preaches is so different. And so um, in Galatians 6 through 10, we see that the gospel is a matter of life and death. We see that the gospel belongs to God ultimately. But in chapter, or in verse 11, we see a different concept, a different explanation of what the gospel is. And Paul says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. 
But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I I ask that today as we look to it, Lord, that we would see it as the revelation of you and your plan and your will. God, that by very virtue of you being the one who authors it, it is perfect and total and complete and accurate. And Lord, may we as Christians cling to the truth that your word is your word and not ours. God, I pray that as we look at what the gospel is and how it affects us and how it changes our lives, Lord, that if there are those in here that have not believed the gospel, that today would be the day they obey the gospel. God, if there are Christians in here that wrestle and that that are having a hard time surrendering to a call to ministry, a call to preach, a call to missions, a call to anything in your service, Lord, that today would be the day they'd say, yes, no matter what, I will go. God, give us a generation of Christians that say, here I am, send me that don't ask about comfort, that don't ask about why or how, but say, yes, I'll do it. God will take care of the rest. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. I want to bring out to you three points today about Paul's gospel. Well, it wasn't Paul's gospel. That's the first point. The gospel is not man's gospel. I hate it when people say, this is the gospel according to Luke. Paul says, not according to any man. First point is this, the gospel is the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. When Paul came to Christ, we know the Damascus Road experience, right? Paul is on his way to persecute Christians. He's on his way to to kill Christians, bringing summons from the court, bringing summons from Jerusalem for the Christians in Damascus. And he's going to destroy them because he believes their message is man-made and has nothing to do with the messianic promise of the Old Testament. Because he was a good Jew. He believed the Messiah was coming. You couldn't be a good Jew and not believe that. Or you were a Sadducee, and I don't know how they got considered good Jews. But the reality is, at the end of the day, the, revelation, or the gospel is the revelation of Jesus Christ because we know from 1 Corinthians 15 what the gospel is. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came down from heaven died on the cross for our sins. That is a part of for our sins. Three little words that make the gospel pertinent to us. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures. Three points to the gospel. Ultimately, if you're preaching the gospel to someone, if you're sharing with someone, these three things are necessary for them to understand. Jesus Christ had to die in our place to pay our punishment. Praise God he did it. He had to literally die, though, and that's why Paul mentions he was buried. Because this swoon theory stuff and this fainting concept, that's not really a good savior. That's a faker. Jesus actually died, was buried in the grave. They sealed the tomb. For three days, his body lay in there, and then suddenly, up from the grave, he arose. I'm going back to Sunday school singing that song. Okay? He arose. Who in history rose from the dead like that? Who in history rose from the dead in their own power? Jesus is part of the Trinity, right? He's God himself, right? 
The Bible says we have the same power in us that raised Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit will raise us one day. That is so cool. Because I know some days I don't let the Holy Spirit lead. (laughs) But someday he's going to be like, wake up. He's going to take complete control of me. That's the glorification part, remember. The gospel is the revelation of Jesus Christ and Paul had to make it so explicitly clear to the Galatians because somehow, somehow the message of the Judaizers had been so true to them. It had become so real in their understanding that they were departing from a gospel message of grace through faith always to a gospel of grace through faith only at the beginning. Christians Our faith is rooted in God himself. It is not in a message of man. Guess what? At the end of the day, if you believe Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, it has nothing to do with the man that preached it. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ himself. He is the one that gave you life and breath, and he is the one that called you to himself. Praise God! has nothing to do with me up here preaching. But Paul doesn't dismiss the importance of preaching because he mentions many, many times preaching. Preaching just becomes the avenue by which the revelation of Christ enters your life. But Paul says it was not according to man. Man did not come up with this. Man did not create this concept of gospel. Man did not create the story of Jesus Christ because let's be honest, what man could think of something that amazing? Men don't typically think of free things. I, I know. We think, oh, yeah, they do. I mean, we live in a world where we want free college. We live in... Well, men composed the economy that required payment. Men never think in terms of free. And that's why for Christians, this concept of sanctification that Paul is addressing to the Galatians is really difficult because we think we have to work at it. We want to say, oh, I had skin in the game here. You have no skin in the game. Jesus' skin is still hanging on the cross. He took care of it. He's the one that paid it. He's the one that's sanctifying. Don't think anything in and of yourself can sanctify you because your flesh is evil still. But the Spirit lives within us. And the Spirit does the work within us. The Spirit brings about the fruit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Joe. The fruit of Joe is is the previous text that says it's fornication, uncleanness, ungodliness, lewdness, crassness, all these awful things. That's all I can produce. But the Spirit of God in me can produce righteousness of all sorts. He can produce love. I struggle with love. Man, do you know that person you just can't love? The Spirit can love them through you. Paul is trying to remind the Galatians, listen, this thing began with God and it is completed with God. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. Second point is this. Not only is the the gospel the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ to our lifestyle. Paul says, You've heard of my former life in Judaism. I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul takes a second here and he starts to share his testimony, right? We, we know what's a good testimony. A testimony is, oh, I did all these bad things. No, I'm kidding. That's not a good testimony. God is good. He's the only good part of my testimony. No, a testimony identifies a point when we were not in Christ, the point we came to Christ, and now what Christ is doing in us. 
Okay? That's how we teach our students when they write a, they have to write essays to get into school. One of the essays is, how did you come to know Christ? Because this immediately goes into their evangelism classes because that's one of the best ways we can share our faith is tell people what God has done for us. Hey, what's Paul doing right now? He's telling people what God has done for him. Okay? But this concept, Paul, Paul says, he's like, listen, look at my old lifestyle. Now, we look at a testimony and we think, Maybe you're raised in an old church like I was. But there's those testimony building years. You know what I'm talking about, Pastor Stephen. Where, where the young Christian comes to faith and then they walk away from God and they come back miraculously and it's like, oh yeah, they had testimony building years through their teens. That's not testimony building. Testimony building is when we come to Christ. Testimony is, is when Jesus Christ radically changes our lives. And Paul says, look at my former conduct. Look at how good I was. This is not a testimony of this awful drunkard and this awful um, um, deviant. This is a testimony of someone who by the world standards was perfect. He says, in, in another passage, he says, according to the law, blameless. Now, Paul was not blameless according to the law of God. Paul was blameless according to his interpretation of an interpretation of the law. But in this passage, he says, you know of my former conduct in Judaism. This revelation of Christ came to Paul in the midst of him being a good person. Folks, so many people in our world today are on their way to hell because they think they're good people. You know what? You have, it's, it's no problem. No problem at all to convince the guy that is drunk down at the bar that he's a bad guy. Now, he may have some good in him, but he'll admit he's a sinner. I have no problem at all convincing the homeless person that their decision to take in drugs makes them a sinner. That it's easy. I have a lot of difficulty convincing someone that's in church every Sunday that has a great family life that has a wonderful job and everyone likes them, that they are a sinner and not good enough because they haven't come to Jesus. They have not believed the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Savior that died on the cross for their sins. You know that person, right? You know that church person, that, that person that goes to a church just down the road, that the church has a little to do with the Bible, I don't know if there's actually a church down the road, but they have a little to do with the Bible in name because it's like, Bible fellowship or something like that. But then the preacher gets up there and it's like, man, aren't we all just good people? Man, that's so common in Vermont. I don't know what it's like in New Hampshire, but there are so many churches that good people go to every Sunday and they have no idea that they're on their way to hell. Paul says, look at my former conduct in Judaism and how good I was. This is exactly what the Judaizers were trying to say. You can be good enough to sanctify yourself, Galatians. You can obey the law enough to sanctify yourself, Galatians. And Paul is saying, I was good enough to sanctify myself. Nonetheless, Jesus Christ revealed himself to me on the road to Damascus and radically changed my life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ to us. And it is the revelation of Jesus Christ in us. Now don't, that's a scary preposition. That in preposition, that is a scary thing for some Christians. Because like, oh, does that, uh, that sounds heretical. No, it's not, it's biblical. 
Paul says, I was advancing in Judaism, we get that, verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, man, God has a plan for our lives. He sets us apart to use us. That's amazing. Sidetrack there. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. I want to was pleased to reveal his son to me. There's discussion about this. And in the Greek, Greek reference, right, Pastor? In the Greek, that's a, that's a poor translation of the preposition. The preposition is in. In me. To reveal his son in me. See, Paul fell off his horse on the road to Damascus. And Jesus was revealed to him. Paul was saved And now Jesus is being revealed in him. Christian, Jesus does come to live in you by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us makes Christ exude out of us. As we allow the Holy Spirit to affect our lives, we share about him. That is us sharing the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And that is what evangelism is. If we don't share the revelation of Jesus Christ, we have not done evangelism. The revelation of Jesus Christ, I don't have a physical Bible today, but is bound up in the word of God. When we share scripture, we know that that is the power to save men because that is the very words of God, the very revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the revelation of Jesus Christ in us. We see that when Paul was saved, when he was on his road to Damascus, he falls off his horse, right? And Jesus Christ says, Paul, you're going to minister for me. Paul, that was good as a Jew, that seemed to be just what God had asked for through the law. You're going to, I'm going to minister for a Messiah? A guy that says he was the Messiah? Paul knew in that moment that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. This is the same guy, Saul, that watched Stephen get stoned preaching about Jesus Christ, bearing the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Jews, accusing them, saying, you crucified him. Paul is now buying this hook, line, and sinker. Why? Because Jesus Christ revealed himself to him. And Christians, let me tell you this. Folks, let me tell you this. If your understanding of the gospel is simply intellectual, It is nothing. But if your understanding is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in which he does indeed talk to you through his word mainly, that is the revelation of Jesus Christ in you. I'm thankful that he works in my life. I'm thankful that at eight years old, God's Holy Spirit began to pull on my heart and reveal to me the sin in my life. Then as the preacher preached, the gospel came to my opening ears. And I said, I need that. It's not as clear as it used to be, but I do remember it. At eight years old, Jesus Christ came into my life. Revival service, wonderful preacher, still in touch with him nowadays. You know what I said to him, though, when I walked forward? I walked forward before I got to, like, pew two, because I was way in the back. 
my eyes were running, just tearing. You know why? Because I knew I was a sinner. I got to the front and the preacher said, how can I help you? Like a good Walmart clerk. No, I'm kidding. I said, I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell unless Jesus Christ saves me. I didn't say, preacher, you preached a good sermon, so I'm here. I'm a has nothing to do with the preacher. It has everything to do with the message. Paul uses that, con- that term preach. He says, I preach the gospel to you. That's in the beginning of this, this passage. He says, the gospel that was preached by me. Do you know, euangelion, euangelizo. Paul's specific in that he was preaching the message of Jesus Christ. He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the message that saved him, the revelation of Jesus Christ that came to him, that saved him, and it is the revelation of Jesus Christ that convinces us of our need for a Savior and that ultimately saves us because the Word of God is how the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts. I read scripture today to you. That's what I'm hoping is working. I'm hoping the Spirit is working in your heart and that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that He is the one convincing and revealing Jesus Christ to you that we can see Jesus Christ in you someday. Because He wants to. He came to Paul. You think you're a bad sinner. He came to Paul. The man that was trying to earn his own righteousness by the tenets of Judaism. The man that was killing Christians who says on multiple occasions how bad of a sinner he was, but then calls himself the chief of sinners for the way he had persecuted the church. He saved him. He can save you. If you fall within the sound of my voice and you've heard God's word today, which you have, he's waiting. He loves you. You can come to him because he has been revealed to you by God's holy word and he is being revealed to you by the word preached. I don't speak revelation. I don't. That's only of the power of God. I speak what God puts on my heart, but that is not anything like the revelation of God. I could have said something wrong today, but I trust the message. Paul says in the the verses previous, he says, Am I now seeking the approval of man or God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pastor Stephen asked us to come today. I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm glad we get to be here. I'm glad we get to meet you guys. But at the end of the day, the reason I'm up here is because God called me to do this. If you liked it, you liked it. If you didn't, you didn't. But I challenge you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to talk to you about that. I want to help you know him. I want to help you see the revelation of Jesus Christ in Scripture. But if you do know that and you're a Christian, are you ignoring what God is calling you to do? Are you living a life to please men? Or are you living a life to please God? Because we often want to please men, and there's nothing wrong with pleasing men to a certain degree, only if it exerts itself above our desire to please God. As Christians, we answer our calling based on what God wants us to do, and maybe you have not answered your calling. I challenge you today, if you're wrestling with that call, if you're wrestling with, do I really have to do this that Paul did? 
Jesus changed your life. He can use your life. Paul was changed radically on the road to Damascus. And you know what we see in the end? Paul says, I did not confer. I did not consult anyone. Because what was he saying the entire time? The gospel was not taught to him. It was revealed to him by Jesus Christ. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Who was in Jerusalem? Peter. Peter was in Jerusalem. I would go to Peter immediately if I were told I was an apostle. I'd want someone that knew the job. Paul says, no, that's not where God led me. I went to Arabia. I have no idea, nor do we, what Paul did in Arabia. But we do know when he was done there, he went back to Damascus. Where was he going before he was converted? Damascus. And what did he go to Damascus with this time? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Folks, God calls us to bear his name to all peoples, all nations. Thank you to these missionaries for answering the call of God. I love being in a convention where we get to meet these people. God calls you to bear the gospel to the people of Nashua. And maybe he's calling you to bear the gospel to the people of what's the next town over? Milford. Milford. Maybe God is calling you to go there. Maybe God is calling you to preach or to pastor or to be a missionary, to be a church planner. Talk to your pastor. The guy's here from Texas. How do you leave Texas? It's the call of God, right, pastor? Let's pray. (laughs) Amen. Father, thank you for your love for us. God, I ask that as we close out today, Lord, that if there's someone in here that has not met you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that today they would, that today it would not be an intellectual assent to what your word says, but Lord, that it would be a, a real understanding, a, a spiritual and emotional understanding of who you are and what you have done. God, thank you for saving me when I was eight years old. Thank you, God, for the cross that Jesus Christ bore to Calvary and bore my sins to the grave and rose again victorious, giving me life giving us life. God, thank you that you call us and you use us and you want us. Wow. God, I pray that you would work in Nashville Baptist Church and that this town would be taken for the gospel. Lord, that the people in this community would know those are Jesus' people. Those are people that aim to please God. Those are people that have been radically transformed by the message of the Bible. And God, would it grow from there? Lord, would you use all these little pockets of Christianity in New England to bring about revival and spiritual awakening because we desperately need it. And Lord, I speak for myself. I want it. We want it. God, show us what we need to do. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.